Well, good morning. I want to begin this morning, begin our time together with a question. It's a question that many of us may have considered, we may have thought about at one time or two, we may have even been asked it, but never really understood the spiritual impact of it. And so that's what we're going to consider today. Here is the question. You have four seats at your table. You can invite anyone from any time in history. Who are you inviting to dinner? You got four people. Uh, Some of us would go with the significant political figures. You'd say, I'd like to have a conversation with George Washington. I'd like to know what that was all about. Others would say, well, I'm more of an Abraham Lincoln guy. I want to know what that experience was like. Maybe we'd go into the camp of cultural icons. We would find Amelia Earhart or Jackie Robinson or Elvis. I'd like to have dinner with them. Perhaps others of us would move into that kind of Christian hero category, people who have done significant things for the kingdom of God. I'm thinking of somebody like a Corey Ten Boom or a Billy Graham. We have these people that we would love to sit down for great food and even better conversation. Well, I've asked you the question, and so I'm going to play along. I'm going to throw out my four people who I would like to have at my dinner table. I'm going to start with a couple people who I've mentioned to you before. They are my Christian heroes, and I would say those two guys would be Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a significant impact not only on the church, but on all of life in Western culture. The other one would be a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a guy who was a martyr for Jesus and has had significant impact on me through his writings and just through his life. So that's two. And then you also know that I'm kind of a Tigers guy, and so I would kind of head over into the sports world. And uh, I would like to know a little bit more and engage a little more deeply with a Hall of Fame baseball player by the name of Ty Cobb, Tyrus Raymond. He was uh, an interesting character, and I would like to know more about him. But the last one, and you guys know this, and I think some of you, maybe Randy, uh, might actually have this in his four. The final one would be legendary broadcaster Ernie Hartwell. Just to spend a dinner with Ernie. Some of you might say, well, that's really interesting, Pastor, but I could not care less about who you're inviting. I'm over here trying to figure out my four yet. You asked the question, and I'm trying to engage with my four yet. Well, either way, uh, when you land on those four dinner guests, I'm going to assume one kind of key thing, that you chose people who you find interesting, but you also probably chose somebody who could benefit you in some way. They'd provide important insight into a topic or issue that you care deeply about. They would provide you wisdom. Or perhaps they might feel, make you feel important or special. Most of us, if we're honest with each other, have a tendency to look at our relationships this way, don't we? What can I receive from that person? We don't head into a relationship like that. We don't make that abundantly clear when we're beginning the journey. But 
More often than we would care to admit, our relationships with our friends, our relationships with our communities, even with our church, we oftentimes view as transactional. What can we do as men and women of faith to go against that kind of cultural flow? I mean, I head into this thing and I'm not receiving what I want, and so therefore the transaction is not working for me. I need to move on. How can we as people of faith push against that kind of thinking? Because I think it's important and I think we should. Over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking at Luke's gospel. And what Luke's gospel is going to show us is it's going to give us a little direction on the dining habits of a guy named Jesus, who he invited to his table, and we're going to unpack the why did Jesus invite these people to his table. Now, I'm guessing some of you are thinking, okay, wait a second, meals? You're talking about dining. You're talking about meals. We're talking about Jesus. You could mention something about miracles. You could mention something about his amazing sermons. You could mention uh, his healings. There's a whole bunch of stuff you could talk about. And you want to talk about meals? Yep. We do. That's exactly what we want to talk about. I want you to consider with me an important observation that a guy by the name of Tim Chester said in a powerful little book called Meals with Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, three times in Scripture, we read that the Son of Man came, and then he did something. Three times. The first time, it says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's from Mark chapter 10. Another time it says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the final time says that he came eating and drinking. It's fascinating, isn't it? The first two statements are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for sinners like you and like me. That's why he came, and he came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's a purpose statement. But then we get to that third statement. It addresses the how. It addresses the method. How did Jesus come? Well, he came eating and drinking. So church family, make make no mistake about this. Jesus entered our world on a mission and what we are looking to do over the course of the next few weeks is engage with that mission. And the mission is around a table. It is around a table. And so we're calling our new sermon series Soul Food, as you can see behind me. And what we're going to be doing is looking at different chapters in Luke's gospel that detail these meals these meals that Jesus invested in, the people he invited to dine with. I'm going to stop right here. We're just a few minutes in, and some of you are probably getting hungry. All that talk of food 
It's not the plan, but I, you might want to bring a snack over the next few weeks because we're going to be talking about food each and every time. But that's not the focus. The focus is really for us to clearly see the friendship and the trust that is developed when we gather around a table. So let's grab our Bibles. I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 5. We are going to be reading a very short story uh, about a guy named Levi. And again, it's Luke chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 27. And uh, you can find that in our ESV Bibles on page 861. If not, you can certainly read along behind me. Here's what Luke writes. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribe, well, they grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> and Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's where we're going to stop. One simple read of that text will kind of highlight for us one very important thing. Jesus is not hanging out with the famous guy. He did not pick the rich guy, and he's not going with a guy who has this glowing, sterling reputation. Instead, Jesus is seeking a different sort of dinner guest. Let's revisit verses 27 and 28 and look a little more closely. So after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector. You might want to focus on that, highlight that. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. He saw a tax collector named Levi, and he was sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Two words. Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose, and he followed him. Levi. Levi. The name itself suggests that he was part of a priestly family, and yet Levi chose not to go into the family business. In fact, he went the opposite direction. What's helpful for us to know about tax collectors in first century Israel, tax collectors were the guys who would kind of rough you up, take your money, take the money from your family and give it to the soldiers who were the same people who were oppressing you. It was kind of an ugly practice, not a lot of joy or fulfillment in that line of work. People dreaded the tax collectors. They did not like them. They were extortionists. They were dishonest. And they were disliked. They were disliked intensely. That's very important for us as we read this text because Jesus has another view of Levi. He comes upon this tax collector and he says, follow me. And that's exactly what Levi did. And if you haven't noticed and what it happens in the next verse, it says, leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. It's this sort of spur of the moment decision. 
that has significant implications for Levi. I want us to enter into those implications for just a moment because as a tax collector, you have this tax booth or this tax office, and if you left that behind, you were done. You were finished. There was no going back. So consider this for a moment. Your livelihood, your source of income, your stability, all of it gone at the two-word invitation of Jesus. Follow me. Church, let's make this a bit more personal. I want you to picture the setting with me, okay? You're sitting at your desk, got your warm cup of coffee right next to you, kind of look over the calendar for the week. It is packed with meetings. You're sitting there working on your sales report. And the next minute, a very intriguing person walks into your cube and says, follow me. You're going to leave everything you know behind. You're going to move out from your cube. You're going to leave everything that's there. You're going to leave everything that you know, all the stability, all the security, all the finances that you know, never to return. It's kind of wild to think about it, isn't it? I mean, really, when you kind of put yourself in that situation, it's kind of one of those questions where you go, wait a second, who does that? Levi does that. Because Levi was someone in need of something far greater than a career could provide. Levi knew in his heart that he was in need of redemption. A career was not going to provide that for him. But Jesus... (laughs) But the question is, what about Jesus? I mean, of all the people that he could have come alongside and said, hey, follow me, why would he pick Levi? Because Jesus in that moment saw more than a thug. He saw more than a thief. He saw a lost son who wanted to come home but did not know how. He saw a lost soul who did not know how to get home. And so Jesus extends an invitation to a sinner. And that is the first of three truths that we are going to find today. Jesus finds sinners. Jesus seeks and finds sinners. He does so for people like Levi and he does so for people like you and like me. That's the heart of our God to find sinful, broken people who are longing for redemption, who are longing in our souls to be restored to the purpose that God has for us. And so when, when we come across those words, when Jesus whispers to us and he says, follow me, it's very compelling. Now let's return to our text. See what happens with Levi once he left everything. Let's pick it up at verse 29. And Levi, well, he made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So to be clear, Levi has left his tax collecting business, and he's now excited, and this excitement sort of overflows into the point where he's going to have a party, and it's a party of tax collectors and sinners. 
It's a party of unsavory people who do unethical things, and yet that is exactly where we find Jesus. Remember the first point, Jesus finds sinners. (laughs) Well, clearly, He's in the right place. Clearly, Jesus is in the right place because he has found a lot of them in this environment. But he doesn't just find them. He then enters into their world. And church, this helps us see the second of our truths today. Jesus feasts with sinners. Jesus feasts with sinners. It's that meal that we're talking about. And I want you to know this was very controversial in the first century. You see, religious leaders in this time period, they were... They had this idea that the way to be holy was to practice separatism. Tax collectors, they were stained with sin. And if it was up to them, Jesus and his followers should have nothing to do with them. Let those stained people stay by themselves. It's easy to poke fun at the Pharisees, but let's enter into that just for a moment. Some of us still live that way. Some of us remove ourselves from unsavory characters because we know this is true, that you can be involved with someone and their character can rub off on you. As a parent, that's something that you've probably told your children once or twice. It is a practical truth when we're talking about character. But what's so critical for us to know is that Jesus is seeking to go well beyond character. Remember his mission? To seek and to save the lost. So Jesus isn't really interested in the Pharisees' perspective. Clearly, he isn't concerned with the Pharisees' viewpoint. Instead, he is more concerned about relationship building and friendship and developing trust. And that's why Jesus eats. That's why Jesus reclines at the table. And that's why Jesus celebrates the redemption of Levi with all of Levi's friends. And make no mistake, it is a celebration. For those who are here today and you would say, I'm in Christ. I have faith in Jesus. I've repented of my sins. I've believed the gospel. I am walking in faith. You understand the celebratory nature of what's just happened in Levi's life. I know you do. Levi has come to a saving faith in Jesus. He's left everything else behind and nothing will ever, ever, ever be the same. And Levi, in this moment, wants his friends to experience the same forgiveness and mercy and hope that he has just experienced. He's fired up. Believer, do you remember that kind of passion? Do you remember that kind of drive in your own heart when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you want to let everybody you know know about what you've experienced, that this is the most amazing thing that you can even wrap your mind around and you have to tell somebody? Do you guys remember that? There's an excitement there. pastor by the name of J.C. Ryle once wrote these words. He says, a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. 
We want to tell people. That's why we want everybody else to have what we have. So the question is, is where's the drive? Where's our passion? Where is our celebration? And now when I first came to faith as a freshman in college, I, I wasn't sure how to go about doing it, but I certainly wanted everybody I knew to know what I had experienced and what I now knew, the peace that I had, the joy that I had. I couldn't fully explain it, but I was excited about it. And I'm guessing that you were too. So the question is, how do we get that back? How do we get that fire back? I would say begin with prayer. Come to God in prayer and ask him to restore in you the passion and the drive and the fire that you once had, that you could explain that and share that with the people you love. That is a prayer that God loves to answer. And you know what? You just might be (laughs) celebrating repentance and faith with some sinners in the days ahead. Now let's look at the last portion of our text. Luke 30 is where we're going to pick it up. And the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why would you do such a thing? You see, behind the Pharisees' questions were heart filled with judgment. As I read that, you can almost hear somebody saying that, can't you? Why would you hang out with those people? You know what they're like. Why would you spend time with that crowd? What's at stake here is religious holiness, first century style. I hinted at it a little bit ago, and I want to dig into it a little more deeply. You see, the Pharisees were practicing and preaching a holiness by segregation. This is very important for us to grab a hold of, so track with me here. They were practicing and preaching a holiness by segregation or separation. They were made holy, and they were made righteous at what they didn't do and who they didn't hang out with. They were proud of their status and their holiness. While Jesus, Jesus was practicing and preaching the opposite. He was practicing a holiness by association. That we are made holy and righteous not by the things that we do, but through our association with Him. Through our association with Jesus. There's two wildly different worldviews, two wildly different practices, and yet only one incredible Savior is Jesus the Christ. And so Jesus eats, and he reclines, and he invites sinners to join him. And it's in the amazing wisdom of our God that Jesus knows who will join him. Only those who are in need Look back at that last verse. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, for I have come to call, not 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, it is only those who are in need, only those who are hungry, only those who are tired, who are ready to come to the table. And that highlights our third point today, that Jesus fulfills His mission at the table. Jesus actually fulfills His mission at the table. I hope that you remember earlier in the sermon that I made reference to three times that Jesus, the Son of Man, came. It is detailed in the Scriptures. You guys remember that? Okay. He came not to, not to be served, but to serve. He came seeking sinners, seeking to save the lost, and He came eating and drinking first two statements are why. The third statement is the how. He did so eating and drinking. Church, meals matter to God. They matter because they are more than food. They're actually social occasions that represent friendship and welcome and trust. Those things happen when we gather, and that is the heartbeat of our God. What He displays for us is the method of His ministry. So perhaps we should follow that method. Invite some friends over for dinner, sit around the table, and share the story of God's mercy and His love for you. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.